Well, thank you very much, and it's uh, great to be with you. It's an honor to be with you, and I really appreciate the opportunity to meet you. I I've met several folks here that had family connections since we've lived here 30 years, um, and uh, also some friends from the past. So it's, it's wonderful to be here with you today. My name is Randy Shile, and uh, for <clears throat> 27 years, I was the pastor of Stonebridge Church over on the uh, southwest side of town. Uh, it used to be Cedar Hills Evangelical Free, and then in 2008, we relocated to Stony Point area. So uh, we're Stonebridge Church. My wife and I are still members there. I retired uh, in August of 2019 and was redeployed two weeks later. Some of you who are retired know what that's about. Uh, redeployed to an organization called Charles Simeon Trust. And uh, we are a global network of uh, people who are interested in helping people learn how to study the Bible and to teach it, uh, and then be, to make progress in their preaching and teaching. So we, um, we work all over. My primary area is uh, Portuguese language. So we did uh, several workshops in Brazil in June and July, and then we're hosting a workshop in Lisbon, Portugal in October. So it's really a privilege to be with you. And I love the name of your church, Redeemer Church. Uh, I know Richard Marceau, some of you remember him. He, uh, I think, was instrumental in helping this church be born, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember him talking about Redeemer. I thought, boy, Redeemer's a good name for a church. And then I see your tagline, Fight for Joy. Uh, I see a little bit of influence there with John Piper. Is that right? But, uh, boy, what a great message for us. It's a, it's a daily fight for joy, which we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and I love your setting here. Wow, to be out here in the mall is just fantastic. I, I just love it. Uh, to let the word of Christ and the, the music of the Christian church flow through this building in, in the marketplace. It's just a wonderful thing. There are two dates on the calendar that are memorable for me. The first is June 20th, 1962. That will help some of you think about my age. I was a nine-year-old boy sitting in what's called vacation Bible school. And the pastor was preaching an evangelistic message to the children. And I was sitting there and the Holy Spirit of God was working on me. I thought I was a Christian. My parents were. So I figured since I went to church, I was a Christian. But the pastor was talking about the need to receive Jesus as Savior. And he talked about how the devil would try to keep us from doing that. And then at the end of his message, he invited us to come forward to receive Jesus. Now, I'll never forget Pastor Grimes doing that because as he talked about the devil keeping us from this, I was thinking that's what's going on in my life. I wasn't sure I wanted to receive Jesus and follow him. But when the invitation was given, I knew God was working in me. And I walked forward. I was the only one 
I remember walking down the aisle, all the kids looking at me, and Pastor Grimes led me in the sinner's prayer. I know it was June 20th, 1962, which is 60 years ago, if you're doing your math, because I received a little Bible that day, and in that Bible was written the date, and I still have that little Bible. It was the day I was born from above. But as many of you, if you've come to Christ in your childhood or grown up in the church, you know how this is a long and winding road as we grow up with many temptations, toils, and snares. And I faced a lot of them. I remember in high school, many of my friends claimed to be atheists, even in my youth group. And I remember the pastor one time trying to deal with atheism and giving an apologetic talk to my fellow students. And I remember in 1971, coming to the University of Iowa to be a student, and I, I hope if you, we have Hawkeye fans here that you didn't stay up too late. I don't want you to sleep through this because of the rain delay, thunder delay. But I drove into the University of Iowa campus thinking, I'm finally going to find the answers to life's questions. <laughs> and I have to admit to you, after three months there, about November, I was despairing. I was despairing because I found more questions than I did answers. And one morning at Hillcrest Dining Service, a tall fellow, 6'7", his name was Dave Swan, sat down at my table and handed me a ticket and invited me to come and hear David Wilkerson. Now, some of you uh, are too young to know of David Wilkerson. He was, wrote a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, had a ministry in New York City. But he came to our campus, spoke in the field house, and gave an evangelistic message. And I went. I went and, and joined others. And something again happened. The, the Spirit of God was working on me, and I knew that this was where the truth was. God called me again. And I remember going back to my room that night and saying, Lord, if you really do exist, would you please speak to me in some way so that I know you're with me? Well, something happened immediately. All of a sudden, the Bible became alive. There were other things, like I had to give up my smoking, which is a bad habit for me, given my genetic uh, background. And my language cleaned up immediately. I was shocked because before I could swear a blue streak, and for some reason, I immediately felt convicted now. But the major thing that happened was that the Bible came alive especially the Gospel of John. I remember going to class. I'd be over at EPB, rhetoric building there, and I could not wait to get back to my room 
to read the Gospel of John. And I had been reading the Gospel of John because my parents required it of me, of me since I was a child, but now it was alive. And Jesus came off the pages. So when I met with uh, Glenn and Eric and they invited me to come and be a kind of an interim uh, teacher, I, I thought, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John. You know, there's a lot of confusion about Jesus. Uh, if you're not a Christian here today, you may have been wondering, where do you find accurate information about Jesus Christ? Or you may have incomplete information. A lot of people I know see Jesus as a cosmic Santa Claus. And so whenever you need him, you kind of call out to him, kind of a cosmic genie. You rub the, the bottle and Jesus is there. One lady said to me one time, I know, you know, whenever I need Jesus, I just call him. I'm doing fine without him normally. That may be you. You may have doctrinal knowledge about Jesus, which is important to have. But you know, even a deep doctrinal knowledge of Jesus can be abstract and historical and not personal. I have commentaries, superb commentaries, in my office of people who can unpack the meaning of Scripture and don't believe a word of it. So, where do we find accurate knowledge of this person, Jesus Christ? Now, what I'm about to share with you from John chapter 1, 1 through 5, is startling and completely countercultural. But here's the thing knowing Jesus is the most important thing of life. And without him, life can be supremely challenging. Without Jesus Christ in your life, you are doomed to try to figure out life on your own. What's best for you? And that can be a downward spiral of confusion and despair. I don't think there's any mistaking it, we've got a problem in our American culture and even here in Cedar Rapids with people despairing. Why else would national public radio and Iowa public broadcasting give prime time to discussing suicide? We have a growing problem in our culture because people have lost hope. Jesus Christ has an answer to that. That's why we like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, those are four biographies in the Bible. John is unique among the three. Each author uh, has eyewitness accounts included in their pages, and they're inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. They're divinely inspired revelation. There are four Gospels, but one story. Each author unlocks the power and the mystery of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John, we think, we're not sure, was written by the disciple 
John, who was the brother of James. Remember, they were the guys that rode their motorcycles through town with a thunderbolt on their back that said, Sons of Zebedee. <laughs> These were the two brothers, notorious for wanting to have the highest places in the kingdom. We think John may have written that, but we're not sure. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. 90% of the material in the Gospel of John is unique from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That in and of itself should grab our attention. John's purpose is just simply this. John 20, 31. You know, some books of the Bible just give their purpose, their goal, right out in front. He does. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why does John write? He wants us to know Jesus as a real person because Jesus gives life. So we find here in John chapter 1, 1 through 18, a mini biography. John starts out his book with 18 verses describing who Jesus is and what he does. And we've just read that. And I just have two basic points for you today based upon what we just read. And then we'll get to the rest of the biography in the next two Sundays. In verses 1 through 5, what we learn is that God makes himself known through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We just read it. Verses 1 and 2 talk about who is Jesus. And verses 3 through 5, what is Jesus doing? So let's look at it. Who is this Jesus who is the answer to the despair that we see all around us and maybe within our own hearts? Well, first of all, we read that in the beginning was the Word. Jesus Christ is called the Word. In the original language, that's the word lagos. It's a word rich with meaning. It was rich in meaning for Greeks who saw lagos as the rational and moral order of the universe, but it was impersonal. And we also see that the Hebrew meaning means that God speaks. As a parent, sometimes you think, wouldn't it be wonderful if my kids, I'd just say something, i say, yes, sir. Well, that's exactly the power that God has. When God speaks, things happen. The Hebrews knew this from the first pages of the Bible. It's also deemed Hebrew wisdom, lagos, Hebrew wisdom. Let me ask you a question. How do you like to communicate? I always ask people this because... Some people, you send them an email and you don't hear from them for three weeks. There are some people that I send an email and then I follow by sending a WhatsApp text. And I said, hey, I sent you an email. Uh, some of my children don't like texting. So I can text them and I'll never hear from them. Uh, maybe they like a phone call or a personal visit. How do you like to communicate? Well, according to the Bible, God loves to communicate through a person, the person of Jesus Christ. First John verse 1 and John 1, 2 says, That was from the beginning which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, 
This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. So here was God communicating through a person. And it says he was there in the beginning, which links us back to Genesis chapter 1. God used his word. He said, let there be light. And there was light. God speaks and things happen. God speaks and here is a person. I love how the beginning of the Bible speaks of the word and the end of the Bible. In Revelation 19.13, we read that Jesus will be dressed in a robe, dripped in blood, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. Why is this important? Have you ever been in a conversation where someone says to you, and it's about God, well, when I think of God, I think this. And everything after the word this is not the God of the Bible. It's just kind of their own totem. You know what a totem is, don't you? The Native Americans would build a totem pole. It was reflections on what they thought a God must be like, and they would put that up, and that, that's what they would worship. That's what we do as human beings. We create our own gods. This is why this is so important. God cares too much about the human race to leave us without a clear word of who he is. And so he sent his son. God communicates with us through his son. He's the word. But not only that, the Bible tells us in those first two verses that Jesus is eternal. Jesus existed from eternity past. It says, in the beginning. He's always existed. A lot of people that you know think that Jesus became into existence at Mary's pregnancy in Nazareth. Or that when the baby was born in the manger, that was the beginning of Jesus. It wasn't. Jesus pre-existed. I love how it says this in John 17, verse 5. Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. In verse 14, he says, The word, which already existed, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. Jesus existed from eternity past. He's not only the word, but he has always existed. Third, Jesus is with God, it says. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. That implies a unique, intimate, eternal relationship with God. A friend of mine was talking, he said, you know, if you want to have a relationship with somebody, you must spend time with them. He says, for instance, I know Kirk Ferentz. And for one moment, I was impressed. I thought, oh, you know Kirk Ferentz. He says, I see him on TV. But he said, I know my wife. I spent time with her. I have intimate knowledge of my wife. This is what John is telling us, that Jesus had a unique, intimate, eternal relationship with God the Father. He knew him int intimately because he was with God. He was 
we would say, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the mystery of the Trinity, a foundation for it. One God in three persons. And here is Jesus Christ. This is why it's so countercultural today. People know there's a historical Jesus, but here we find that Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent with God the Father. He is God. Now the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. There's one God in three persons. It's an amazing mystery. Now, if people from the Jewish faith will admit that Jesus Christ is a historical figure, but not God. And Muslims will say that he was a great prophet, but not the latest and greatest prophet, Muhammad. But according to the word of God, Jesus is one essence with the Father, one God in three persons. And fourth, that leads us to his conclusion there that he is God, verse 2, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the original language, it puts it into an emphatic position. God was the Word. Now, I was taking a walk at Knoll Ridge, see, right down the street here, Knoll Ridge Park, and this very nice gentleman wanted to engage me in conversation. And I knew within about uh, 10 seconds that he was a Jehovah Witness. And we, he was talking about how God only really has one name, it's Jehovah. And how we shouldn't be celebrating Halloween and all kinds of things like that. We shouldn't celebrate much of anything. And I thought, well, let's, let's go back to John 1. And so I began to try to talk to him. Don't you know, do you have these folks show up at your door? I have a heart for these people. And he said to me at one point in our conversation, a very kindly man, he said, well, I think Jehovah really credits us if we are faithful and sincere in doing uh, good things for him. And I said, well, but, but, but what if what you're doing is not accurate about who God is. Because I said, there are many names of God, and according to the Bible in John 1, it says the word was God, that's Jesus. What if you're sincerely wrong in propagating thoughts? And he smiled and said, well, yeah, I can tell you know, you know the Bible too. And I went on my way. Make no mistake, my brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus Christ is eternal God. But what does that mean for us? Well, he goes on to say in verses 3 through 5 that Jesus displays his glory through what he does. What does Jesus do? My friend Brandon who is the pastor at Stonebridge Church, says, you know, it's amazing that in all religions of the world, people are trying to work their way up to God, but in Christianity, God comes down. <laughs> That's what John is saying to us. And he tells us in verse 3 that this Jesus was the one who created 
all things. You walk outside, you see the trees, you see the sky, you see the beautiful the sun shining on the corn in the morning in rural Iowa, and you know that Jesus Christ created all things. He was God's agent of creation. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, Paul says, All things were created by him, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, rulers or authorities, all things, circle that in your Bible, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's holding the universe by his power, creates all things. You see the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, which you've studied, that in the last days God has spoken through his Son, who's the heir of all things, and through whom he created the world. We create things out of other things. Jesus created the universe out of nothing. And John also wants to take us deeper here. He's not only the Word through whom God spoke the universe into existence, but he is also the agent of the new creation and will bring all things together at the end in a new world, a new creation, which we will live to enjoy. Jesus is the agent of creation. And then he goes on. And not only that, he says, he is the giver of life, verse 4. He is the living light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. I was reading a, a sermon by John Piper one time, and he talked about how in, in this passage it reminded him that light has four properties, energy and power, purpose and motion, growth and expansion, and it reproduces. And he said, Jesus is the light who has the purpose of birthing new life. He's talking here about creation, and then he's flowing into salvation. God is the giver of spiritual life the knowledge of God, the new birth, and all that accompanies salvation. What a God we worship who made himself known through Jesus. And finally, he says, he's the light that overcomes the darkness. Verse 5, he said, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some people have wondered whether the darkness means the darkness does not understand it. There's a blindness in the human race. When I sat there as a nine-year-old boy, I was blinded to my need for Christ. I had to have God open my eyes, or I would have continued to be lost. There's that understanding. But deeper than that, is the darkness of evil and unbelief and demonic powers, which John will get to as he unpacks his gospel. This is the Jesus who is the light that overcomes sin, death, and the power of the devil. He's stronger than any earthly power. You know, I read these words and I think, when we contemplate who Jesus is and what God is communicating to us through Jesus, what does that say to a church like Redeemer? You're in transition. I've been in a lot of churches in transition. 
I've been through transition myself. And it can be a very difficult time. How encouraging it is to know that we have someone who overcomes all things to bring glory to himself. What this is telling us is that Jesus wins. You know, if you're in a cave, my kids used to love to explore caves in uh, northeast Iowa. <clears throat> We'd get into some of these caves really far in, and I began to get worried. And you turn off the lights, and it's just, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And it just takes a little pin light, little pen light, or that, this was before the day of cell phones, okay? Just, just to remind you how old I am. But you turn on a flashlight, it's just a blinding light! Because in the darkness, a little bit of light overpowers it. This is what he's saying. Jesus wins. God's purpose and plan through Jesus Christ will prevail. You might be a non-Christian here today and you're exploring the Christian faith. I would highly recommend to pray the prayer I prayed. Lord, if you're really there, could you reveal yourself to me? Do you think God is powerful enough to do that? He overcomes the darkness. If you're a mom who has a prodigal, and you've been praying for years, and you're tempted to lose hope because this child is far from God. Jesus wins in the end. The story is not over. You don't give up. You keep trusting that God will work. You might be an addict, addicted to something. Time after time, you've sworn, I'm going to do better, and you fall back. How good it is to know that we have a Jesus who overcomes the darkness. We can't do it on our own, but he can. On June 20th, 1962, a nine-year-old boy walked to the front and prayed a prayer, but I didn't tell you the rest of the story. Pastor Grimes' wife, Dottie Grimes, took me by the hand and took me down to the lower level where the fellowship hall was sat me down before a Bible and read 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Now, I want you to think about that. That was 60 years ago, and it's as crystal clear in my mind as it was 60 years ago. Because God worked. That's the kind of God we have. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. He shined the light. I saw my sin. And Jesus overcame the evil to save me. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Jesus is the one. So, here's what we learn. God makes himself known to the person and work of his son. Do you know him? Do you know him personally? I'm not asking if you know him doctrinally. You may know a lot of facts about the Bible, but do you know Jesus Christ as a person? Has he revolutioned your life from the inside out? You've seen the evidence of his powerful working within you. Trust in him. Come and see. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Your grace is so good we don't deserve it.
but you lavish it on us in Jesus Christ. I pray if there's anyone here today who's not a Christian or who's discouraged or despairing, that somehow your word might break through and give them hope. Direct our eyes to see you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.